0: Hi, and welcome to Axelbank Reports History and Today, conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. I'm Evan Axelbank, and today we're going to speak with Alexis Koh, the author of You Never Forget Your First, a biography of George Washington. This is her second book, and she is frequently called on to comment on current events from a historical perspective. She's got bylines all over the place. She's also seen on documentaries including the recent History Channel series on Washington, which she was also a producer on, and she is a museum curator. So, thanks so much for being here, Alexis.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's our pleasure. You have a great Twitter account, and you've certainly carved out uh, quite a niche for yourself. Uh, George Washington, who is he? Well, okay, we know he's the first president. He commanded the Revolutionary Army. If we still carried cash, we'd know he's on the dollar bill (laughs) and the quarter. We also know that he has the most visible monument in Washington, and if you're a bit of a nerd, you know that there are really, really, really long books about him, and many of those books have been written by men. I looked at my own shelf. I've got 14 books about Washington, and five of them are written uh, by women. So why has the field of Washington been dominated by men, and why did that have to change?
1: Mm, Well, one-year average is pretty good compared to most
0: people.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm going to guess those are not biographies, though, by women.
0: Uh, Some of them are, uh, uh, I guess you could say they're about more episodic in history as opposed to full-length cradle-to-grave biographies.
1: Right, right. Which I think are, and that that is sort of the point is um, women have been writing about Washington, but they'll write around him. They'll write about his um, marriage. They'll write about a specific part of his presidency. Um, There are women who are doing great military history. Um, they'll write about, you know, uh, perhaps his early career working for the British. Um, you know, he he wanted to be at the center of his country story, and it didn't really matter which country that was. Mm. Um, but in general, women have been excluded from the core of sort of everything to do with history. But with Washington in general, um, You know, women just haven't um, written the kind of of books that people want to read on Washington. And I don't know if there was a place before mine uh, to write a biography on Washington that wasn't, um, you know, hagiography or bordering on it.
0: So how do women write history differently than men?
1: Women have not had, and, and when we talk about when we, men, we also have to say, you know, we're talking about a specific kind of man. We're talking about a white man, right? <laughs> right we're not right, talking, right. We're, this isn't just like, you know, all the men in America, are, you know, sure. we're talking about um, white men, usually old and usually from the same background. Um, a lot of them come from the East Coast, uh, many from Virginia, and that makes sense. They grew up, learning this history, and um, they're usually preoccupied with um, honor, and, and not to say that women aren't. Joanne Freeman, of course, is, is, is famously um, you know, excellent and a leader in that field, but they do tend to be obsessed with masculinity and with the feats of manhood Um, in ways that don't really get us closer to the man. And so when women write history, they do tend to think, okay, I have not, um, I've had to consider things that, that meant that white men haven't, right? I've had to consider access and um, what the world around them looks like that they might not see. And I think when they write history, they write that in.
0: So one thing we have to talk about here is a term that you have either wittingly or unwittingly coined, <laughs> and you know where I'm going. Uh, who are the thigh men, and what does uh, that term mean, and why does it come up in Washington biography all the time?
1: I don't want to date us, but um, you know, <laughs> I usually get a ton of mentions on Twitter about this, and emails, and it's, it's, it constantly comes up. The thigh men of dad history... Is, a term I is that what you call it? dad came... history? Dad history?
0: Mm-hmm. Explain dad what that history. is
1: also. I've been talking, I mean, dad history, that I did not coin. And I feel like people have talked about that for a while. It's the idea um, that books are, you know, the, the traditional definition of dad history is that it is history that dads get on Father's Day. So you don't know what to get your dad. You go to Barnes and Noble and you buy a book off the you know table they have that says Father's Day and what's on that table? It is mostly presidential biographies. Perhaps something about Lewis and Clark. You know something mm. about um, Lincoln. Right, but the big the Truman of,
0: biography, the big yeah. Chernow biographies. Yeah, I got it. Okay,
1: absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I've been aware of these guys. You have Chernow, you have McCullough, um, and they dominate and the thing that um, I read in Washington biographies. Now, I am the first woman historian 100 years and the uh, third woman to write a biography on Washington. And so when I, when I said, oh, I bet a lot of those biographies are not by women, I know they're not. And that's right. because- you looked
0: into this. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and I didn't, it sort of came to me, actually. It wasn't a realization I had right away. I was aware of the great man history, but the time, men, you know, I didn't realize nothing, no, no other president has been dominated by men like Washington. Um, And so I knew this, but I didn't quite know the numbers until actually fairly until I was a couple of years into it. Um, but the Simon came about as a as a joke, as a lot of <laughs> my bad jokes end up with this book yeah. at least ended up becoming true. The title was that as well. Um, the way that the men talked about Washington, they all began the book the same way. All these biographies, which are tomes, you know, they're huge books, which I also just fundamentally disagree with, whether it's this book or my first or, you know, the one I write next. Um, they, they, they start out and they say, Washington is too marble to be real. He's been, he's been romanticized and also we can't look at his flaws. And it's just, it's, it's such a problem because we don't have a passionate relationship with him. Say what you will about Jefferson. What I think they're trying to say is, say what you will about Jefferson. People care. They have emotional responses to him. How could he be such a hypocrite? With Washington, you don't get that. They don't really have, you can't really, you either genuflect in his direction or you don't really have an opinion. You're like, okay, cherry tree, I don't know, whatever. But one of the things that I noticed about um, their attempts to get us to be closer to him they would say, okay, I'm going to do this differently and we're going to know him by the end of the book, but they would proceed in the exact same manner. And that depended on, um, you know, this, this worship of his body and his body was amazing, but not for what it looked like, what it survived. However, they spent a lot of time on his body and I found it to be weird that <laughs> I wouldn't, I would find it weird if they were focusing on a woman. And we would find, I think we would have noticed this sooner because mm. if, uh, if we talked about a woman's body as being like an amazing specimen that everyone just, you know, the legs really drove them crazy. We wouldn't, we wouldn't tolerate it. You know, that would, that would, that would be cancel culture or at least it would be known. And if it was part of
0: American history, if it was part of why, why, if if it was why she became an important person, well, look at her thighs. That would be totally weird. And I
1: found that it totally. And I think that the, and it's not, it's not that they focused on the thighs more than, you know, I mean, I, I didn't read a lot about his wrists, for example. I don't know how I felt about his wrists. I know they, that that there were opinions about different parts of his body, but um, the way in which that they they would describe his thighs um, really, really seemed inappropriate to me. You know, they would talk about the way that he would grip um, a horse and that, you know, the way that he moved his thighs. and And again, you know, 10 pages later, I don't know anything more about him. I don't feel any closer to him. I would rather know um, about all the things that he overcame with his body and and how it helped him understand the world and how it inadvertently put him in situations that he should or should not be in. Um, And so I started calling them the Thymen as a joke. And I, you know, lowercase t, um, you know, lowercase m. And when you're in graduate school, when you're in college, you read about these these terms, these words that people come up with, like like great man history, for example, is another way to talk about dad history, and it's the more academic, professional way to talk about it. I never really thought I would coin one, um, but all my second readers, and my editor, and my husband editor, um, my husband is an editor, and so I I I, I take advantage of that whenever I can. Um, they all ended up capitalizing it and saying this is a really effective tool, mm. um, and I thought it was pretty risky.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, but, but it's become a it. thing. I mean, it's become like oh, a meme. it's, it's become, become a thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Even the, very even much the people who don't like it, they <laughs> use it all the time. Um, <laughs> right. And in the New York Times review, it was one of the reviews. I ended up getting a lot of attention, which was I am very grateful for. But one of the reviews that I did not expect because it had been like the third or fourth thing, um, said, you know, it is, I did not, I, I cringed at it, but it's really good. Like it gets... Mm-hmm across the sentiment and so i would say that that is still my daily reaction
0: <laughs> and i i do want to proceed with washington but have you and i don't want to put you on the spot if you don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. answering please don't um have you heard from any of the thigh men yeah oh you did yeah. okay all right um, and, well, and you don't well, have yes to name no. them but what but what was their reaction
1: yes and no i mean um you know for one i worked on the washington series of course Kearns goodwin and she blurred the book, and she. Um, very sweetly called me the day it pubbed and, and you know, I mentioned this because she is friends with all of them.
0: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> You know,
1: she runs in those circles. And so it wasn't, you know, I never went into this thinking, oh, I hope they don't notice. I knew that they would notice. Um, I did not expect for it to get so much attention of all of all the things. Um, and so when it seemed like I think after the the second or third day after the book had come out and everyone was focusing on turnout. It started to look as if and then and then the Times decided that they would um, excerpt a part that focused on him, and I thought it looks like I'm goading him, and i that that was never my intention. Mm. It is fairly standard as you know in history books to review historiography to go over all the people who have come before you and to say this is what they did, this is where I agree this is where I disagree and I say I think he's a A damn fine writer, I really do. I like his books. I've actually finished them. I just have a a lot of problems with them. If you're taking them at their word, Um, so I wrote him an email and I I I simply said that you know I have a lot of respect for you. Um, And you said it's a little skewed.
0: But you said in your book that you like the book. I mean, you 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 said very clearly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I I I say what I mean, and I say it in very few words. I say I like his book. I call. Um, Washington's treatment of Indians genocide you know you just say it and then and then it's clear but but it's amazing even when you're clear how much is misunderstood but uh, my understanding is he he has received it we have not spoken but he he acknowledged it to to mutuals that it was appreciated
0: the intrigue, he was appreciative. Yeah. I love the behind the scenes intrigue here of, of uh, <laughs> back and forth between historians. Um, so, all right, let's proceed with Washington here. Uh, one reason I love your book is that it um, it goes beyond the headlines right away. It, it opens, literally, it opens with a table of Washington myths. And it struck me that it's um, perfectly appropriate that we believe so much baloney about Washington when you look at the fact that the monument to him has no face and no words he left behind, unless you get really close to it. Um, So, you know, he's sort of this faceless guy um, looming over everything quite literally. Um, So give me some of the myths as part of a larger answer to the question, how did he become so cast in faceless stone?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the Washington Monument is so bizarre. It's this phallic, Really imposing yeah. figure, and again, you know, I use like like pretty. I use all these terms because I'm I'm trying to make people see this as not um not that I am taking the gendered approach, but rather that it has been so gendered and it has done him no favors. Um, and so you know, how did he become this person? We Washington was building the country as he was. As he was fighting the war you know he was he doesn't get enough credit for being a statesman he gets a lot of credit for being the general and often that's what he's called at Mount Vernon um but he was uh he was a person who had uh qualities that didn't make sense he did good and bad things um but but we don't know a lot about him because we haven't been been taught to interact with him in this way we haven't been given the good with the bad we've just been given this like story um, and so things like the wooden teeth persist people talk about it even in the even to dismiss it they'll say you know we don't know a lot about him wooden teeth obviously isn't true and then they stop there but the question is what were they made of why don't we ask that question hmm. um, and so I wanted to list those myths like wooden teeth um, which is a well known one and then I also wanted to address things like Emancipating His Slaves, which is, I think, a a bit more um, for those who who know more about Washington. Um, And so this book in general, with the myths and with the charts and the graphs, I wanted it to do everything. (laughs) You know, I had a lot of goals for this book. And one of them was that um, it appealed to people who know Washington, who have read a lot of books about him, like you, and also people who have read no books about him. And for you, I wanted you to think about this information in a different way than you usually do when you're given it you know, one bit per chapter of a 700 page book. And for people who don't know Washington, I wanted them to see what they knew and see what they didn't know and to proceed as if they had read as much as you, as if they knew as much as you. Um, I always assume that everyone is as smart as me. They just don't know everything that I know. Mm. And that's, that's what I wanted um, with the charts and the graphs, and I also did not want a really long book. I am against that fundamentally, as, as um, even as a reader sometimes, because we you know we've all got busy busy lives, and and sometimes I do really think that it is an ego an ego boost yeah, to and, the author.
0: And um, I, I think some authors can sort of pull it off. Um, But I I do agree sometimes. Yeah, some. But I I do agree sometimes this could easily be, I sit there thinking this could be 100 pages less or 150 pages less. Um, Let's go back to the beginning. How does a polite, serious son of a single mother, and single mother is so common in our presidential history, um, how does he go from living on farms to developing this idea that there's a world out there that he can control?
1: Well, it's interesting. You know, that's another thing that was sort of strange is everyone worked really hard, his biographers, The Thymen. They worked really hard to make it seem like he wasn't really raised by his mother, you know, that he was from the youngest age in opposition to her. Whereas I agree, I feel like being raised by a single mother defined him. It, it, it you know, at least the, it defined his formative years. Um, and we know that both from, from modern you know, understandings of, of how this works and also from everything that happened to him. Washington was the eldest son from the second um, family of his father, and uh, when his father died, most of the wealth went to his older brothers, and he very much struggled, but one of those older brothers, Lawrence, was the rich relative, the relative you're supposed to go see in hopes that they'll pay for your schooling, they'll invite you on trips, they'll give you what your parents can't. And for the most part that worked out um, as far as exposing Washington to a completely different world full of people who had connections and in fact even mandates from the crowd, from the crown. Um, But it also made him feel othered and less and as if he had sort of been have you know screwed to a certain extent? You know, oh, yeah. it, it, he his story parallels um, Benedict Arnold in in a lot of ways until you get. To the war he, but they yeah go, he has a ahead. chip
0: on his shoulder at some level yeah. yeah
1: and 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 he he says things he shouldn't for a long time he has a temper he he doesn't control and he's ambitious as all presidents are and it is not a bad thing um certainly we're I, i'm ambitious you're ambitious but but he is reckless with it for a little bit um, and it's sort of amazing to read these young Washington stories and see him go, okay, I know what Lawrence, my brother has. I know what his, his in-laws have. I want that. I wasn't born into it. So this is how I'm going to get it. And he feels like he's doing everything, right? He takes it really seriously. He, he, go, he goes into every situation wanting to take control, even if he has absolutely no idea how. He's this imposing physical um, specimen. You know, Again, his body is amazing, but because it intimidated people, made people want to follow him, he was charismatic. Um, and he moved with grace. He moved like a football player. You, know, you saw him and you thought, okay, I want to follow this guy into war. Um, and so and, talk about,
0: how he, uh, I, I go, talk about yeah. how he gets mixed up in the French and Indian War and what does he learn yeah. from this really big mistake? You talk about ambition. He got too ambitious during this war. <laughs> yeah. Explain what he learns from this big mistake.
1: So Washington thinks how can I get ahead? And the way that he can get ahead in this in this world is one by being a surveyor which his mother helps him do um, against so Lawrence his his stepbrother wanted him to do something that might have very well ended his life which was going to the navy at a young age at 14. Um, and and he says okay I want to be a surveyor and he starts getting all these like good jobs from from Lawrence and from his in-laws. Um, and then he ends up finding a way for the other path for people in early America to get rich, to get ahead, which is join the military. Those are the only two ways to, to be successful. Um, and he ends up getting a commission to go into the Ohio's to basically check it, everything out from Governor Dinwiddie, great name, which is a royal governor, meaning that America is still the domain of the crown. We're still just subjects of, of the British. Um, and Washington is in between, right? Because his dad was born—well, not his dad—but he comes from a line of people who were born, um, you know, on in the homeland. And Lawrence, his older brother, was educated there, and he just missed his shot. So he gets this commission based on all that, and he goes in, and, it, it, and it's partly that he—it's his hubris. He's he's young man, you know, he's he's he's. Not even, you know, we, the age is sort of difficult. If you say someone is 17 now, we think of something really different than we think of back then. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a young man. And um, a combination of listening to the half king who has um, quite, uh, you know, a score to settle with the, Brit- with the French who he believed, you know, killed his family and, and removed his father's brains. Um misinformation, hubris, all of these things. He ends up, instead of just delivering a message, figuring out, okay, are the French on on British territory in the Americas, in the Ohio's, he ends up assassinating a diplomat and starting basically being a, a substantial part of the start of the French and Indian War, where we don't really talk about, but is also known as the Seven Years War. Um, and what i love about that incident which is a strange way to phrase it but it tells us so much about washington because he writes this letter to dinwiddie and he eventually tells him about this but he spends the first few pages saying i'm not paid enough i'm not getting enough um you know respect because i'm i'm, I'm not a uh, you know a, i'm secondary as a colonist and then he gets to the assassination and it's just amazing the priorities if, if i if i screwed up that much in my job i think i'd lead with that really it's it's quite a it's quite a sandwich there
0: and and this gets a lot of attention uh, this makes a name for him and and it's sort of the old adage uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity
1: completely i mean think about it right the i've called it the wilds of the ohio i've described that there's like a diplomat there french and english forces you know and and the french by the way they're terrible at camping this is a, a relevant aside but i love it you know they're carrying like arm Huge pieces of furniture, like wooden furniture, through this. Uh, well, they're carrying it. They're see. That's what I would be
0: doing. That's how they're. I come. They're. Yeah.
1: Yeah, either making or making deals with Indians to make them carry it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's glamping basically. Right, um, right. No one's that well equ- equipped from this, which is why they need colonists and such. Because let's let's face it, the the crown or or the French or whoever it is. When I talk about the crown, I'm talking about the British. Um, they're not used to this environment. Someone like Washington is, and he thrives in it
0: he's also interested in politics and he's interested in women. Um, he meets Martha Washington, or excuse me, he meets Martha Custis. How do they meet?
1: Well, so he's interested in politics. He's interested in women, but and he's interested in getting ahead, but all of these things, it doesn't matter what they are. He just wants to be successful. And I think that's really important um, because then you understand, wait, how is this guy starting out his military career fighting for the British? And then he's suddenly rebelling against them in a, pretty dramatic manner. Um, He wanted to court a lot of women and they all had something in common, which is that they were rich. And um, he wanted a lot of roles in politics, in the church, in towns, because again, that's a way to um, acquire power and prestige. You know, he looks at Lawrence, he looks at all these other men and he thinks, I want that. I don't ever want to not be able to feed my horse because in Virginia, which happened to him as he was raised by a single mother who, um, you know, really did the best that she could in a world that did not want to hear a word she had to say. Um, you know, he, he was really embarrassed in Virginia. If you couldn't feed your horse, if you were even walked 10 steps, that was, you were nothing. Um, and so he decides, uh, well, he has a case of dysentery and that happens to be really good. It's not his first case. It's certainly not his last, but he ends up going to see a doctor hearing about Martha Washington, uh, Martha Custis at the time, this really this, this widow who has it going on, you know, she's got two young children, which is a good thing in early America. It shows that you can have children and also people So sort of, it wasn't as big of a thing, the bloodline. Um, It it was great if they came with young children. Um, And she also um, happens to be in control of a massive estate. Her husband died without a will. Uh, He was the only surviving member of his family. Very interesting, his half-brother was the result of um, a master, and an enslaved woman, and um, he was going to get half had he survived, uh, which is so interesting to think of in terms of Martha. He meets Martha. She doesn't need to remarry. As I said, she's got unprecedented power. She's got these young kids. Other people are courting her, she's not interested. But Washington, as you said, had been famous from his diary of that, that we think failed exhibition, but whatever it was, Um, it was published. She knows about him. She likes what she sees. Her first husband was older. He, he, he She'd known him her entire life. Um, Washington is hurried. She's a little bit older, a few months. Um, and they hit it off and they hit it off quickly. And we don't really know what happened because Martha um, burned their letters, probably at Washington's request. And this was totally normal at the time. Um, but we do know it moved very, very fast. And she was his retirement plan from the British Army, which was not giving Washington the promotions that he wanted because he was not a, he was he was a colonist he was second class
0: so we um, sort of have so, a goal well just real quick, so we sort of have yeah. a, a you know this is a, a crude term that is not respectful, but we sort of have a gold digging war failure walking around here to, we're trying to be ambitious I mean you, you know it's yeah. funny how when you when you change the gender here and you start to think about how would we look at this if it was a modern day woman, those are some of the terms that people might use.
1: It's a little bit of a grift. (laughs) It's a little, (laughs) it's, it's, there's no, absolutely. I mean, that's what I mean. He was ambitious in the way that was, um, almost like FDR's hundred dates, you know, he was throwing things at the wall and he was just trying to figure out what, what sticks. He gets to quit his, his day job. You know, he gets to quit. He gets to tell Dinwiddie to shove it. And then he gets to go to Mount Vernon and he, and he orders from, and this is important. He, everyone is suddenly happy to open accounts for him or add him to accounts at places that never would have done business with him. And in early America, that's a big deal because there's, it's just the way it works. It's access. It's it's exactly as society is now, but it's um, spelled out far more. And he's, he's really sure that this is the path for him. And we don't see him having any military action, even though he does say that he enjoyed it. He loves his, you know, he's bent to arms, he says. Um, We don't see that again for, for quite some time.
0: When do you think we should talk about slavery more? Uh, is this the best time to talk about it in his life or is it better to talk about it at the end?
1: I think it's good to talk about it throughout. And okay. that was okay. sort of really interesting about... Um, the, another thing that I felt was was lacking in the biographies of of Washington um, is they, they tended to have one man with him, Billy Lee, William Lee. Um, and they would talk about his treatment of, of William Lee as if it was emblematic of the hundreds of people he owned, and it was not. Um, and so what I tried to do is, instead of just having a chapter on slavery, a chapter on own a judge, whatever it was, I tried to really make that present throughout the whole book because that's what Washington saw on a daily basis. And so when we talk about Washington's father dying, you know, in the book I have, well, that means that Washington inherited something. He didn't get what his older brothers got, but he did get slaves. So what's from a very um, Washington What's his view? Of
0: the, what's his view of the institution? What do we know about this idea of ownership and other human beings and of using them to make money and of managing their families and of buying and selling and of punishment? What do we know about all these things?
1: Well, we know what... Let's go with what Washington did. There are lots of ways we can analyze this. There are lots of ways that we can talk about it and people have, and we should. Um, But Washington was, um, you know, when he was out of his mother's house, he didn't emancipate those enslaved people. They had multiplied by then because they had had children. Um, And he continued to buy enslaved people throughout his life. The way um, other people will tell it who, who are a little bit more forgiving and who want to whitewash. They will, or they'll say, I'm or another way of putting that, a very modern way of um, younger historians who do this will say, I like to take the good with the bad. Um, it's just a matter of fact that Washington did, in fact, sell people. They like to say that he didn't, but he did. We know this is in his ledgers, and he did it in kind of the worst way possible because he would say, um, it would be punishment. He wouldn't just sell them to someone, he would say, this person is going to um, sugar plantations in the Caribbean. And I'm going to tell everyone who is going to interact with him to watch out for him. And you're you're damning them to death within a couple of years. He is pursuing escaped slaves. Slaves are running away all the time. There is no such thing as a good (laughs) good master, which I've, I've heard actually been asked at Mount Vernon and many other plantation, um, forced labor camps, uh, presidential homes, um, Washington very much felt there's there's this very, um, there's just an illuminating exchange that he has with Tobias Lear, his secretary, who will marry into his family eventually. But while Washington is the president, he's talking about um, rotating his enslaved uh, staff outside of um, his house in Philadelphia, back to Mount Vernon, because if he doesn't do that, they will be free. Because that's the law in Philadelphia. He's not from Philadelphia, and he says, "I want to break the law." He very openly says this um, because, and he lists all these reasons, and then he says, "You know, they're better in, they're better off under my, you know, care under what I can provide them than making their own choices." Um, and we just know that's not true it doesn't it doesn't matter if he didn't assault them we know that he did assault them it doesn't matter if he fed and clothed them well we know that he didn't um it doesn't matter if he you know uh agreed they should have families because he was happy to separate them for years at a time and in fact at the end of his life indefinitely um so when we talk about washington and slavery was he raping enslaved women we don't know because he was sterile um was he uh you know, was he eager to be, was he an abolitionist? Absolutely not. Um, and so that's Washington and slavery. It's present, it's there. And he very much believes that, um, you know, Black people are better off being his slaves than they are being free as he as he is.
0: And this is certainly going to be something that we um, talk about as we go on in this episode here, um, because it comes up again and again. Um, one of the things you write is, First in war does not mean best in war. Uh, how does it go as he um, is uh, picked to be to lead the revolutionary army? Um, you know, these days people tend to think of him as this brilliant military tactician, but as one of your tables clearly points out, he had more losses than wins.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I have a table, I have this, the longest table, I think, in the book, um, yeah. talking about the different battles and breaking it down very, very clearly. This is what happened when, where, who, what, where, when, why. Um, and I do that because I think, you know, all these really long books focus on the battles. They've all done it really. I mean, they dominate the book. So I, I think we're good. Um, there's lots of places for you to find that, but you have all the information. Um, but what I think is really interesting is, you know, first of all, pickings were slim, right? Because when they need, they need someone to be the general. They need someone they can trust. They need someone who looks nothing like a king, which means someone who doesn't have heirs, very convenient for Washington. Um, He has a little bit of military experience, but there are people who have more there. Um, But they have like... They say things that that turn the rest of the founders off. They they want to know that, um, you know, their property won't be taken away by the British if, if we lose. You know, those sorts of things that don't really inspire a lot of confidence. Whereas Washington um, is very good at quietly politicking. So what he does is he stuffs himself into this uniform that he hasn't worn in a really long time since he was a young man. He's in his 40s now. He was, you know, he left the British service in his late 20s. He shows up and he he's wearing this uniform. He, as I said, you know, he has the body of an athlete, even even now. Um, and he goes around to basically every church, every house, shakes every hand, and he is, you know, quote unquote, elected. He's he's selected in part because he just doesn't run for it, and everyone's really scared of of anyone who who expresses interest in power. But what comes with that is, um. You know, someone who's not the greatest who hasn't been doing this. Um, so he he literally goes and picks up books. He does this all along the way, which I do like, but it's also pretty funny. Um, he definitely knows what he doesn't know. And um, or as, as Cheney, I guess would have said the knowns the no known knowns what we and the the know, we don't knowns. know well, I think that was Rumsfeld, <laughs> yeah. but
0: yes. Okay. Oh Rumsfeld, yeah. yes, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, um, I've been thinking about Cheney because of what's going on with his daughter, um oh. and, and the moment that we're in. But yes, um, and so but that's actually like well, it sounded really dumb, and and at the time, their emotions were high. It's 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 a smart way to go about life to know that there are things you don't know and to kind of figure it out at least in in broad strokes. And so Washington goes, and he picks up these books, and he also surrounds himself with people who seem to be gifted. Hamilton, for example, no one could get him on his staff, as we all know famously from Hamilton the musical. Hmm. Um, but Washington understood that this guy was a great thinker, and he needed him there. Um, and everything he does, he does um, with the understanding that they will be judged by his actions. And also, he's constantly because he's out to prove something, because he's proving his worth, because he's been othered by the British Empire, and he's taking them on. He doesn't just want to destroy them; he wants to destroy them and be, be look better for it. Everything he wants to follow rules. He wants to be gracious. He wants to um, he wants to project a certain image in In part, to prove something to them, you know the one that got away, and in part because he really does earnestly want the nation to survive and I think that that did play a part in um you know not a lot of revolution's work, but ours did pretty well
0: at the risk of glossing over big periods of his life here um, uh, I want to ask about um of course, his presidency and and one of the things that i 've long argued is that he seems to be. Um, a better politician than he was a general. And you're arguing that too, that, that he just understood this was about nation building and this was about how we were gonna be seen in the future. And he understood how to campaign for these roles that he wanted. Um, uh, you write uh, that the world had only known kings, despots, and dictators. And he is drafted to be president. He suddenly holds unprecedented authority you ask, would he transfer? This was the question at the time. Would he transfer power from the military to civilian government or would he be a new Caesar? So what in him makes him realize, I am not going to be a permanent president. I am going to lead a civilian government and I will one day hand this over. Where is this in his personality?
1: When Washington wins the war you know and it's not not him alone but but when he comes out as this this victor he's done the impossible he is world famous he um has accomplished his goal right which was if the british wouldn't make him uh their number one american he evicted them (laughs) you know he showed them what they lost and um He's got a, a wife at home. Uh, his, those two children I mentioned, who he had raised and, and cared for really as his own, um, were both, uh, he had buried them both. And the eldest, Jackie, fairly recently in Yorktown, he showed up for Jackie, whole different story, ne'er do well son, there's a generation of them with the founders. And you know, two weeks at Yorktown is all it takes. And then he dies and he leaves behind, again, young children, Martha and, and Washington are going to raise them. Um, and he loves that. And he's surrounded by kids and he takes it really seriously. And so does she. Um, he has everything that he wants. And he's ready to go home because he also understands that one, one, one move in any direction, you know, just an inch, uh, anything that would suggest that he is holding on to power. Could destroy the nation, and he really does believe in the nation. He doesn't believe in himself as the um, the the definition of it. And he, in fact, says, "If everyone depends on me, what happens after I'm gone? It's not going to work. It's it's the same deal." And so he gives that up quite easily. I mean, right away, as soon as as soon as he gets word that that um, negotiations are going well. Uh, you know, the Treaty of Paris, et cetera. He, um, you know, that comes later, but that he understands that peace with the British is close. He writes immediately to Congress and he's like, how do you want to do this? Do you want me to go see you? Do you want me to just send a letter? You know, he, 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 he signals in every way um, that, that, that he doesn't want power. And he's like, he shakes everyone's hand. He gives up his sword famously, shakes everyone's hand, and he just goes. He's home by Christmas. He makes it home in three days, which is like as long as it would take him to travel from Annapolis
0: right. to right. Mount
1: Vernon. And he's out, man. He's, he's like out. I'm finished. Yeah. He's, I'm I mean, finished. what does he have left? And he yeah. – and oh, and then he thinks he's going to have a nice retirement and focus on Mount Vernon, his, his real passion um, in maximizing the enslaved community – and is he incorrect? Because Congress waves, um, you know, the postage to send him letters. Everyone knows where he lives. They all have his address. It's basically like a Hollywood tour all the time. People are showing up left and right. He builds like a staircase that no one can, you know, so he can go through the back. It's a nightmare. He writes to his mother because she needs to sort of She's a bit of help and, um, you know, she's elderly and says, like, you don't want to live here. It's miserable. Everyone's always visiting. You always have to dress up and talk to everyone. And people interpreted that as, like, oh, he doesn't want his mother there. Um, He talks about that in other letters, too. Like, he didn't like it. Um, He wasn't really eager to go back or the constitutional convention's happening. He's, like, best of luck with that. But he's also writing letters constantly saying, like, what are you guys doing? This is awful. This is against everything that I said um so he's done but he also uh is g- he gave into peer pressure
0: <laughs> yeah people say we need you
1: but everyone he needed everyone to say it he needed everyone to say it um and we know this because later well, he was a better politician than he was i would say general in some ways but he 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 had a general sensitivity level which doesn't work for politics it doesn't transfer he he sort of wanted to allow a debate and then say okay i made my decision everyone respect it, never say a word against it. And that didn't work. But with the, um, the lure to the presidency, and he even says, it's my, he says, I'm going to my execution. I have everything to lose. Um, He does need to be pressured into it by by everyone. I believe there, he does this a couple times, right, where he says like, oh, I couldn't possibly. Um, He definitely, when he went to, um, he became the general, that was an act. He wanted that. Um, But after that, it was. He knew it wasn't going to be good, and he was sort of right.
0: Yeah, I, and I feel ridiculous uh, summing up his presidency in, in one question here, <laughs> um, and especially with a question that's about to be as broad as this one, is uh, what is he like as president? We know his first term was better than his second term. He has the Whiskey Rebellion. The cabinet is battling with each other. Um, just briefly, um, compare and contrast what he was like as president and what he learns on the job and what he never learns.
1: Well. Y- y- so, so much of it, you know, I, we discussed before we started recording, I I moved this week. And so I've been setting up my office, I've been setting up my home. And a lot of what Washington did, when he got to New York, which was the first site, and then to Philadelphia, the second of the presidency is as, as Washington foggy bottom was being built, um, and planned really at that point he is just setting up protocol and how things work and, and, you know, who should I hire and how should I work and, and how do I even enter and who do I go to for advice? He's figuring out things because the Constitution says an awful lot but it doesn't say everything. And he actually annotates it. I love this. Um, they have it at Houghton. Um, John Overholt, another another Twitter personality who I've, I've now been working with for a lot, you know, many years, showed me this um, before I even considered writing this book and it's Washington's copy and he says why he writes why you know president in, in the border. So he's really annotating. He's really trying to understand his role, but it's vague. And he does well, and then things like the whiskey rebellion, he he doesn't. It's it's definitely executive overreach. Um, he does something good and bad. He's very against parties and partisanship, and so he creates the cabinet, um, and he fills the cabinet with people who would seemingly be great, right? Like the problem with presidential cabinets now when we look at something like Trump's cabinet or, or even with H.W. Or, or someone, you know, they all agree, they all have the same views um, and they don't represent all of America. And not that Washington was any interested in anyone who didn't um, own land and wasn't white, but he knew that Jefferson was brilliant, he knew that Hamilton was brilliant, and he knew that by having them disagree during cabinet meetings that he would get all the best opinions. So he invents this cabinet and he... Um, and he lets him duke it out, and Jefferson would later describe this as a cockfight. And when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, this this makes everything so clear to me." A cockfight is one of the most brutal. I, I've I've only actually, you know, seen bits that I can tolerate, but yeah, it no, is winners
0: and losers. That's for sure. <laughs> it's
1: it's a fight to the death, and it's brutal, and it's barbaric, and um, you know, they, there are no rules, and there are people just ar- surrounding these poor animals, um, telling them to kill each other. And so Washington in this scenario is presiding over this bloody beaked battle. It doesn't sound very nice to me, but then when it's over, he's like, okay, I'm going to go with Hamilton. And he goes with Hamilton most of the time because, not because he loves Hamilton more, although he does, it's because he um, that fundamentally, their worldviews are the same. They actually believed in strong central government, a lot of things that you know Jefferson did not um, and so that 's where a lot of the missteps happen is he he um, he can 't be criticized, he likes debate, but he doesn 't like it to go on past when he says it 's okay. Um, things start to fall apart then and and just like anything else, you know there 's honeymoon period and then there's not, and usually for presidents the first two years if they're if they're ill equipped, like um Harding, for example, or or Trump, the first two years they can get away with a lot and then it catches up to them and they absolutely can't. And and for Washington, it's not that policies necessarily, you know, because everything was new caught up to him, but partisanship and 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 he just didn't have the personality for it. He was tired and old
0: yeah especially for that time um wh- one of the things I want to talk about, and this makes him feel really modern to me um as a Jewish person, I just love his letter to a congregation um mm-hmm. up in uh, Rhode Island, and so I want to ask you about his religious views. um He certainly was um I guess for the time or even maybe for any time um uh, generally you know in favor of religious freedom and um I'd like to just ask you about the letter that he wrote and how important that was, and what his own religious views are.
1: Well, that's such a good question because it it helps me also answer uh, your last question, which is that Washington understand he, Washington understood his um, his power as a symbol. He understood that he was internationally famous, but he also knew that the the country itself looked to him and imagined him in certain ways. Um, and so, even if. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate over how religion, how, how, how religious was Washington, how much did religion play a role in his life. And he just doesn't use certain words and terms that Martha does, for example, or his mother did. These are women who are really devout or, or other men that he, he corresponds with, even when his son Jackie, who I mentioned, who died. When he has to, uh, when he writes this sad letter about his sister dying, he writes very different letters to Washington and to Martha. To Martha, um, you know, it's both parental love. You know, he understands, and and as uh, you know, Jackie is saying, as brother, I'm so sad, and I know how much um, Patsy meant to you. But um, you know, his letter to Martha is a lot more religious. Washington didn't talk about meeting up with people in heaven. It just wasn't a priority to him. However, he understood that religious freedom was fundamental, not only to this country, but to a democracy, something that looked different than a monarch, which was so unique at this time. Um, And so Madison, when he came up with the bill of, you know, Madison really... um, is pushing religious freedom and he needs Washington's backing and along with the Bill of Rights. And so Washington throws his weight behind that. And he does that for the congregation in Rhode Island. You know, he does that when Phyllis Wheatley writes him. He understands that his name and his support mean something and that if everyone feels secure in a certain way, it is harmonious and best for everyone. And You're that not- is an example.
0: Well, go, go, I, I was going to say, you know, I don't want, you don't have to quote the letter. That's, you know, I wouldn't ask you to do yeah. to do that, but, but what does he say to the congregation in Rhode Island?
1: He acknowledges um, their right to practice and he acknowledges um, that their religion is, uh, you know, is as important to them as, as his own is to him um, and that it is fundamental in, in, in in um, America, and American, also remember, it's not just a, a synagogue, it's also Rhode Island. Rhode Island's a bit of a problem. They're so independent, <laughs> you know? Um, and so all of this is basically, you know, I, 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 I love that that is meaningful to you, and I would love to hear more about it. But to me, all of this is just about saying, hey, everything that we're saying, we really mean.
0: Hmm. Um, and also that we're not going to come after you
1: no no you will not be persecuted you will be safe um the white men among you (laughs) you're fine some of you Um, yeah right right. yeah yeah when we say you know we we just have to keep on and and i mentioned that a lot because when we all know that ostensibly intellectually but when we talk about it so much it just gets lost
0: Hmm. so um and there there are i mean we could do 10 episodes on George Washington but i want to ask this question um should we be proud of him does he hold i mean obviously he holds a, an incredible place in our idea of what america is do, is that his rightful place should we be proud of George Washington
1: i think that's a personal choice i really do um it's such a good question because Uh, it comes, it's at the heart of a lot of our conversations about, um, about how modern America should look, about our democracy, about the founding era. We know Washington because he's historically significant. And I, I wrote a, an op-ed recently for the Post about this, where, um, they asked me to do it. And they asked me, basically, I tweeted something about like, oh, I, I don't think people understand the difference between the founders and the Confederates, um. Washington, if you took down all the monuments, if you took his name off the dollar bill, if you if you did all of those things, right, it, it would take a lot of work, um, we would still know who he is, because he's fundamental to this country, it wouldn't exist without him, both the, you know, the founding of it and the presidency, it, it, he Work he did and things we had to undo. It's 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 essential. And when you look at Lincoln, Lincoln refers back to Washington constantly. Everyone talks about the Delaware Crossing. Now, that's an important point. If you took down um, things about Lee and a lot of other minor Confederate generals, there would be a chapter in our textbooks. They would be, um, you know, a book if you really want to seek it out, but for the most part, a lot of them would fall out of our collective memory because that's all they did. They didn't do anything else important. So the question of whether they should be heroes, whether we should celebrate them, is a personal one. And it, to me, is not the question we should be asking. The question is not should we be proud of Washington, but, um, How can we look at him in a way that helps us better understand these conflicts so that we can understand what's going on right now in our country? Even the founding fathers, um, even they thought, it's not perfect. You will improve upon this. We don't know everything. And if we would listen to them a little bit more.
0: Jefferson was clear about that. Jefferson was clear. Um, I guess so your point is, we should um, look at Washington in a way that makes us better.
1: Yeah. Actually, yes, absolutely. And and it's hard because it's emotional, right? It's emotional for people who do feel like America is a great country and um, our faults are better than others. You know, there, there's this whole, we know these arguments. And then other people say, you know, this man was a white supremacist and he built a country that looked like that. He was an enslaved person, you know, he enslaved people, hundreds of people. He did awful things to them. He was a person who would do that, who was, you know, um, and I think both of those things are true and it doesn't. So for me, it's, um, it's just not about, It's just not about whether we can be proud. proud, Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's It's, not. It's 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 fact, and there are things that I think are in. I'm in awe of. Um, But to me, it's not. I have a professional relationship with him, you know. So I sort of am giving him a bit of a review, um, more than anything else, and not even a review. Just I'm I'm putting together like a case study, so that we can. What do you do with a case study? You learn from it.
0: We talked about his his phallic monument uh mm-hmm. um, if you were going to design a new one a new washington monument what would it look like
1: oh that's that, I, yeah what would it look like um well it i wouldn't have much of a say in it i would, I no, would but I'm, that, I'm telling you yeah yeah
0: you know what
1: i would want to do is i would want to i wouldn't i would you know as someone who the most recent exhibition i curated was for the aclu And it was a traveling exhibition to celebrate their centennial. Before that, the NYPL. Um, And I'm good for that because it's similar to my experience. Um, But I reached out in in all of those different jobs. I reached out to people who, um, again, would know things that I didn't know. And so for the monument, what I would do is I would probably team up with a a Black uh, scholar of this era, you know, maybe like Erica Dunbar and I are friends and so I would Erica Dunbar by the way, um, author of Never Caught. Um, both a, of a, a an adult of
0: a good book. A, yeah.
1: Oh, an adult version and a young readers version. Um,
0: and I have and, invited her on. I'm I'm hesitant to say this, but I'll say it. I have invited her on and I would love to have her on. But she's she's neither here nor there. Go ahead. That's she's
1: a, lovely. Um and I'm I'm honored to call her a friend and she um, I would probably team up with her because we work well together and, um, you know, for everything that we've just said. And we would come up, I think, with a concept that had Washington... Um, you know, centered in this story. But it would not be, we need to think more flexibly about monuments and what we really are trying to express. And what I would want to express is that it was a busy, it's going to be a busy situation. You know, it's almost like an over-decorated living room because we would need to represent the Indigenous people, um, the enslaved people at Mount Vernon. And then in general, um, we would have to talk about, I would love to see something that that tried to present all the, the the policies and the bills that he signed into law. You know, We've got the bank and we've got the first fugitive slave law. And so we've, we've got all these things. And so I would like to see something that actually taught us something, made us think. Um, and I, I I think that would be wonderful. And that's not far off, by the way. This is um, basically stealing Frederick Douglass's idea.
0: <laughs> mm. uh, which president deserves a book like this one? Um... Mm. Uh, now, I don't want to have you start giving away future projects here, but but uh, which president deserves a book like you never forget your first?
1: I'm afraid to say I think they all do. Presidential biographies have been written a certain way. Um, there's even, you know, even JFK has so many biographies. There's one coming he out. He deserves
0: a book like this. That's he deserves
1: sure. in the fall. Yeah. I mean, there's one yeah. coming out that I'm 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 curious about. Um you know, I'm looking, I'm standing in front of my section with presidential biographies and I'm looking at all of them and I'm thinking the ones that I think are good are usually written about um, micro histories is what I, I call them. So, you know, I'm looking at Pat and Dick, a, a book about um, the Nixons by Will Swift. It's one of the best books I've read ever I've, 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 I've read on on the Nixon, the Nixon presidency. It's not about him. Um So I think basically all of them need a reimagining. I would love to see people of color and more women writing these biographies.
0: Alexis Koh, author of You Never Forget Your First, a biography of George Washington. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And certainly check out that book and also her Twitter feed at Alexis Koh. She's a dynamo on Twitter. And thank you for listening to Axelbank Reports, History and Today, conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Axel Bank History. We update those with clips from the show, guest announcements, and book recommendations. We'll see you next time. Thanks.